0: with Dr. Farid Hulakou.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in: 3104410555. But I do have a guest today, so I ask that all questions be directed towards her and our topic of parenting. But I'll introduce her in just a minute. You can also follow me on Twitter or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show. And actually, I just started an Instagram page as well, so you can follow me there also. Um, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number 3104410555. But let me introduce you to our guest. Our guest today is Dr. Jennifer Galvin, who is a licensed clinical psychologist in private practice in encino california she received her bachelor's degree from san diego state university where she majored in psychology and she later earned her master's and phd in clinical psychology from the california school of professional psychology we were actually classmates there and started and ended the same year she is currently obtaining advanced clinical training in psychoanalytic psychotherapy at the new center for psychoanalysis where in june of 2017 she will be earning her certificate in psychoanalytic psychotherapy and her office number which i'll post on my social media later but i'll announce it here is 818-538-5236 So welcome to the show Jennifer Galvin. Thank
0: you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
1: Well thanks for being here. We're happy to have you here. I announced it on the show Monday that we would talk about helicopter parenting but we might not just stick to that specific topic but we didn't want to start there. So as I mentioned before if you'd like to call in we ask that the questions be related to parenting today. Um, But yeah let's start with that topic. So We've heard this term, or maybe some people haven't, so it might be good to define it first. What do we mean when we talk about a helicopter parent?
0: Yes, so helicopter parenting is a fairly newer term. Um, Maybe some of you have heard of it. Maybe some of you have not. But overall, helicopter parenting is the idea that parents will um, attend to the child too much. And sometimes this can be a little bit confusing since we're often taught or told that as parents we should attend to our children Mm -hmm. whenever they need us. Um, And to be a good parent, then we would attend to our children as much as needed. But helicopter parenting is this new term that describes parenting in a sense where you pay extremely close attention to a child um, and their experiences, their problems, their interactions, whatever it may be. Um, and so there's the sense that the parents are hovering mm-hmm. over the child um, in their parenting manners. Right.
1: And, and that can interfere with actually their development in a lot of ways. And I think, yeah, what you brought up is a good point that it can be confusing for parents because we think, OK, a bad parent is someone who's not there for their kids, who doesn't meet their needs, who doesn't take care of them, who isn't involved And unfortunately, what we do oftentimes is when we see something as a negative, we think its exact opposite is a good thing. So if not being there for them and not taking care of their needs is bad, then being a good parent means taking care of every need almost even before it arises, not letting my child feel any kind of pain or discomfort. That's being a good parent. But actually, that's not true.
0: Right, exactly. I mean, not only in our field of psychology do we tend to look for where something went wrong Mm -hmm. or where something was lacking, but in general, if you hear somebody struggling or having a problem, we tend to think, oh, you must have not gotten enough of something as a child. Mm -hmm. However, nowadays we're seeing more and more um, people, not only in our practices, but just in general, that seem to have a lot of things Um, They describe their childhood as fairly, quote-unquote, normal. You know, they Mm -hmm. had parents, they were loving, they um, gave them everything they needed, they were attentive, they were present. However, they're still left feeling unsatisfied, um, depressed, unhappy, Mm -hmm. Um, they feel stuck in their lives. And so this is kind of a new idea that has come up about, um, you know, looking at the other end of the spectrum, Mm -hmm. which is if the child gets too much of something how that affects them in the long run
1: right yeah and too much in a way that it's just like food food is good but if you're given too much it's bad so right exactly. it's the same kind of thing and then if we're used to a world of famine where no one had food then all of a sudden you have food you're like, well we should just keep giving it to people but not realizing that's hurting them and that's maybe what we're seeing here it's something in some ways of a newer uh, phenomenon because we have m- more time and capability and parents are focusing on these things and they think they need to do all these things for their kids, not realizing that by doing too much, they're hurting them. And sometimes we don't recognize that allowing for independence is actually not a sign of neglect.
0: Right. Exactly. Um, You know, I think parents nowadays are very attentive and they show up to soccer games. They're there for kids. You know, they're very careful so that the child doesn't get hurt. Nothing happens to them. Um, You know, most parents do whatever it takes at all costs to avoid their child from feeling any sort of discomfort or frustration about life. Um, You know, it's being a good parent, right? You don't want to see your child suffer. Mm -hmm. You don't want to see your child unhappy. You don't want to see your child hurt. But we're now seeing that sometimes that can go wrong also Mm -hmm. because by helping our kids avoid feelings like anxiety or discomfort or disappointment, we're sometimes not allowing them to develop the skills that they need to tolerate the frustrations of a normal life. So as they grow older, um, their frustration tolerance or their tolerance for anxiety or their tolerance for disappointment is either non-existent or very small. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they're left feeling stuck. They're left feeling helpless, um, they're left feeling as though they're being treated unfairly, and they just have a very hard time dealing with things on their own as an adult because they never really learned, as children growing up, how to deal with the small, minor conflicts that come up through life.
1: Right, and that's something I I sometimes talk about. I tell parents, your job is not to make your kids happy. And the way that sometimes parents think of that is that my job is to avoid any kind of pain, sadness, discomfort for my child, when that is absolutely not the case um pain and discomfort are a part of life, and the better we're able to face them and overcome them, the more successful and happier we're going to be. So by not allowing your child to face anything, you're actually hurting them, just like our immune system has to be able exactly. to fight off disease and if we don't allow it to interact with the world in some degree, then we won't be able to, it won't be able to protect us later on.
0: right and I love that analogy of, you know, like a vaccine. Um, We have to develop this psychological immunity, just like Mm -hmm. a vaccination, right? And so if your your kids can't experience any painful feelings, then they don't develop that psychological immunity that helps them deal with discomfort, failure, and the struggles that their life will bring. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's really, really an important topic to allow your children to be exposed to these types of feelings and these things through their life with your support, of course, Mm -hmm. um, but allow them some space. So, you know, a good example of that is, you know, your child is playing on a jungle gym and you see that they're about to fall. Um, You know, helicopter parenting might look something like running up to the child and, you know, catching them before they fall and preventing um, such disaster to occur. Um, whereas if we allow the child to fall, then they will be really scared and confused for a moment, but eventually they'll get up and you'll respond and react to them and they'll know that you're there for support, but that it's okay that they were scared, frightened, confused, and everything is okay now. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it it shows them that, you know, that they're capable of handling situations and that they always end up okay at the end with support, Mm -hmm. um, If you prevent it from happening, then they don't really get the opportunity to experience these um, events. And also they don't get an opportunity to experience the emotions that follow the event and realize that they can get through on the other side. Mm
1: -hmm. And I think that's a really important part about the emotions that I think a lot of times because parents themselves, us adults, we have a hard time with those quote unquote negative feelings and we think they're so intolerable our own distress tolerance or frustration tolerance is so low, we imagine that our child, as soon as they experience them, it's such a horrible thing. I, I like to use this term crisis with, you know, crying and crisis together. So the why of the crisis, you know, the first I is a why, because I think parents might think if someone's crying, we have to stop it immediately. It's something horrible is going on. And yeah. there's this anxiety of, okay, they're crying. What do we do? And they do anything to just get rid of the crying or prevent the crying in the first place, not recognizing that being sad, being angry, all these feelings are perfectly okay and are good to be a part of their life and like you said we want to help them inoculate them to be able to overcome them when they face them in the future, not prevent it from happening in right. the first and,
0: place. And it, even, you know, with that being said, it's important to look within as a parent and acknowledge maybe what you're experiencing when mm-hmm. such events mm-hmm. are occurring. You know, so the example of a child crying and, you know, it becomes intolerable for a parent at times. We might feel frustrated, overwhelmed, um, anxious, angry. We just want the crying to stop at all costs. Sometimes we even reward the crying to get it to stop right? Mm-hmm. You know, here's a lollipop, stop crying, or I'll give you something if you stop crying. Um, but it, it's important to look within as a parent and see might, maybe what is triggering you on the inside that is causing the reaction. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, you know, the crying is difficult to tolerate for the parent, but the child is actually okay. You know, children right. can cry for hours and, you know, they're done crying and they're back to normal play. Um, it's really for the parents that's it's difficult to see them crying and it's difficult to tolerate. So Mm -hmm. it's also really important to look inside to see what you're experiencing during those moments. Is your fear overwhelming you and taking over to the point where you're not allowing the child to experience life on its own? Um, you know, is it your own difficulty to tolerate the sadness? Because we might think that sadness means that the person's falling apart or they're not capable or they're not okay, which is not necessarily the case. Um, But, you know, it all comes from our own backgrounds, our own histories, Mm -hmm. and even our cultures. You know, sometimes our cultures can instill those ideas in us that um, certain things are not okay and certain things are okay. And so we tend as parents to react in those manners without even realizing Mm -hmm. that our reactions are coming from within us and not necessarily even for the best interest of the child.
1: Yeah, I think we uh, parents have a big role in how they... They teach their children or show them so much. But a big thing is how they even show them what, like you said, which emotions are okay and not okay, which ones they should feel. You know, people, they say things like boys don't cry, which explicitly, but implicitly we give a lot of messages like, oh, you're crying. This is really bad. Or Mm -hmm. mommy doesn't like that. Or Mm -hmm. daddy doesn't like that. And I'm sure you've experienced this too with clients where you working with the client, you see how they have a hard time expressing their feelings. And if we go back to their childhood, they recognize that if they thought about crying to their mom or crying to their dad, they can't even think of doing it. It feels so uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. wrong because they didn't get that nurturance and that feeling that that validation that whatever you're feeling is okay. Right. Whatever emotions you're having, because we all have them, they're all okay. But we get these messages that some emotions are good, some emotions are bad, some emotions are even shameful or embarrassing, Mm -hmm. and you should hide them at any cost.
0: Right. And I think sometimes, you know, the ideas will come from things that parents or caretakers might say to the child so if a child is crying you know they might hear something like stop being a baby don't act like a baby mm-hmm. you're big and and those things kind of stay with you as an adult oh, because yeah. i've seen several people in my practice as adults who say that type of thing like if they are an emotional male for example and they tend to cry easily that their siblings or their parents as adults will still react to Mm -hmm. them the same way as they did when they were a child and say you know you're a grown man and you shouldn't cry or you're a grown man and you shouldn't be feeling this way as though age determines your relationship to these emotions so if you're old or past a certain age, then you're not supposed to feel sad and cry Mm -hmm. um, because then you're being quote unquote a baby.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I like to say, you know, when they say boys don't cry, I say no. Boys cry, girls cry, women cry, men cry. And we all have to be given that opportunity, that space to express whatever uh, emotions we're feeling. We're about to get into our first commercial break. But essentially what we're looking at today in helicopter parenting is parenting where you're almost doing, you're doing too much, overbearing, not giving your child actually the space to experience life and experience their difficulties and whatever might be going on and how this actually interferes with their development and growth and holds them back. And we'll talk about as we go forward throughout the show, different manifestations of this and how it might show up. Because I think although we've talked about it a bit already, it still might not be clear exactly what we're talking about. And I also wanted to mention That my next seminar will be next Sunday, April twenty third, from three to six p.m. And the topic will be emotional intelligence. Again, it's going to be at the Olympic Collection, and tickets will be forty dollars at the door. Our studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five. If you have any questions for Dr. Jennifer Galvin, who's joining me today to talk about helicopter parenting, go ahead and give us a call. We'll be right back. Back to in session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi today. I am joined by Dr. Jennifer Galvin, who I should mention is an Iranian American herself. I know with the name and then also um, your voice. You don't have much of a Persian accent. People might not know that, but you're Iranian. So as far as seeing clients, but also with today's show, we might talk a bit about the Iranian culture and. I want people to know you have your own Iranian family with Iranian parents. So some of this, what we might talk about, might come from experience. And not only that, for you, you also are a mother yourself of three right. lovely little girls who I've gotten the chance to see. Um, so I'm, you can talk from a lot of different aspects or elements of this uh, of experience from different perspectives.
0: Right, and something that goes along with that that's important too is that, you know, some of these ideas or these topics that we talk about, you know, they're easy, they're easier to say, and to um, preach than Mm -hmm. they are to practice. And so, you know, being both the professional in some parts of my life and then the parent, I'm able to see the struggle that a lot of parents go through and a Mm -hmm. lot of the struggle that, um, you know, I think this is fairly common nowadays in parenting where um, it's, there's a, there's a huge struggle around trying to be this "Quote unquote" perfect parent Mm -hmm. because there's so much more awareness around the idea of acknowledging emotions and praising the child and helping them, you know, have adequate self-esteem and things of that nature that I often find myself personally with my children wondering, did I do the right thing? Mm -hmm. Did I say the right thing? Did I acknowledge their feelings? Did I, you know, all of these types of questions that I'm sure a lot of parents can relate to. Um, Whereas, you know, I think several generations back, maybe there wasn't, as much of insight or as much mm-hmm. thought around these ideas of emotions and feelings and acknowledgement, um, and so there was less pressure. But parenting nowadays can be really stressful, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of pressure around trying to do what's right for your child. So I think this topic is a really important one um, to, to look at.
1: Yeah and I think it's a good point just also to acknowledge you know we're talking over it's like oh these parents are doing it bad shame on you this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong which is a lot of how it can sound when we're talking about parenting and advice but it's I think it's so good to acknowledge and I know you experienced this firsthand that parenting is very difficult right. it's probably the hardest i'd say being a husband or wife is a very difficult role but i think being parent is even a harder one and so it's the most challenging role we face and doing it right quote unquote it's so hard to know because most of the times we don't know what's right exactly. Sometimes you might even get different perspectives from different people, even from different psychologists. You might hear different things. So it's hard to know what doing it right is. And then parents competing with each other. That's right. something I see I was it's like say I that. take my kid to six classes. Oh, I take my kid to right. eight different classes starting at age one. You know, and it's like there's all this competition to mm-hmm. be this perfect parent, not recognizing that some of what we're doing is not for our kids and is not helping them. It actually is more for us and, you know, our own the way we feel about ourselves.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think we tend to naturally want to give our kids what we didn't get. Right. Um, so whatever we're lacking or whatever we would have wanted as a child, we tend to push onto our children and the piece that gets, um, missed sometimes is the part about acknowledging the actual child. So, you know, as you were speaking about parenting, what came to mind was the idea that even the idea of parenting is not just this global term. I mean, depending on how many children you have, you're a different parent with each child. And that's not only because of the age difference or their gender, but also because of just who the child is. And, you know, that's something that's that's sometimes overlooked where, you know, we think parenting means X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. and it's not that way because each child is different. Each child has their own limitations. Each child has their own gifts, their own talents. Um, they have their own nature, right? So, you know, those of you who have children might be able to um, acknowledge that each child is Almost born differently, mm-hmm. um, they—they're you know either a boy or a girl. They're introverted or extroverted. Their temperament might be more um, hyper, more energetic, more social, or more mellow, quiet, shy. So you know every child is different, which means. Each parent has to be a different parent to Mm -hmm. each child and that has to depend on the child and their needs. Um, Each child is unique. We cannot treat all children the same. Um, Otherwise you will not reach them. You can't get to your child if you treat them all the same. Yeah.
1: And I think that's a good point. I mean, there are going to be some universals that we'll talk about in like certain ways of parenting, like attitudes and and things of that nature. But in an interaction, you do have to be make sure you're not just on autopilot and think, okay, what's the right parenting thing to do? And I'm just going to do that. Or I I know you have multiple children. I've actually talked to you about the differences in their personalities and how you interact with them. But I think parents, a lot of times you see them, they'll come to therapy and they're like, you know, with the first one we did this and it worked and now we're doing it with the second one. It's not working. Mm -hmm. It's almost like they think the second kid's the problem where mm-hmm. it's like and I guess we're both the younger children so I'm maybe sticking up for us a bit but they think almost as if um, you know something's wrong with the kid not realizing okay something worked with your first child because there's something in that interaction with him or her that worked and now there with your second child, yeah right? you, you know. need to exactly you have to see with them and it, it's a relationship it's not just a, you know people I think sometimes they even come to therapists and say give me the techniques what do I say to my kid how do I make them do this which is another thing we can talk about parents think they have to make their kids do things mm-hmm. that's like their job mm-hmm. but not realizing that it's actually a but like you're saying, seeing the child for who he or she is, engaging with that, and connecting with you know who they are, and and that's part of your you know process. And even I think parents might think I have to make my kid become a certain ma- a thing, not realizing mm-hmm. it's more about allowing your child to unfold and become wh- who they are at right. their to potential. Right, explore and potential.
0: discover who they are exactly. as people. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, Farid and I talked a little bit about this book that I really love. It's called The Conscious Parent. And I believe the author's name is pronounced Shafali Sabari, who's also a psychologist. And she was actually on the Oprah show uh, way back, I don't know, a few years yep. ago uh-huh. or so. And, and it really caught my attention, even though I didn't necessarily have children back then, because the idea was so new to me. Um, and it was the idea that we should be a conscious parent to our children, as in empower our children, look at our children for who they are. Um, Each of our children are born to us and they're their own people. And they're not necessarily a creation of ours or a masterpiece of ours to put together. Um, They're actually not really even ours. They're their own people. Mm -hmm. Um, They depend on us for certain things as they're as they grow older, right? I mean, they need us to take care of them until they're more self-sufficient, but they are their own people. And I think oftentimes we spend a lot of our time and energy on fixing things behaviorally or modifying, you know, the child and their behaviors and actions where this book, I really like it because she talks about Be, becoming in tune with your child. So being conscious, present, and in tune with who they are, Mm -hmm. um, You know, if they're acting out, what is the reason for that? Not just you're acting out, go to your room, get a timeout, Mm -hmm. or, you know, you're in trouble now so you can't watch TV, but um, what's going on that made the child act that way? What's going on internally? Let me get in tune with the child and see what's happening. Are they upset about something? Do they want my attention? Are they feeling something that I might not be conscious or aware of?
1: Right. And I think, yeah, actually what you just said about acting out, even in adults, this is true, but especially in kids, any behavior your child does, you—they're telling you something. You know, there's something going on. But unfortunately, this idea of like the right parenting is that bad behaviors must be stopped. My job right. as a parent—you're doing, you're acting out—I have to stop it. Whatever I do, wh- whatever means I go to, that's all that matters. Not recognizing, wait, if I actually listen to what my child is saying through their behaviors, and especially with kids, we know, and adults too, but especially children, it's so much harder for them to express what's really going on for them. That if I listen to what he or she is telling me, I might actually learn something that if I just stop the behavior, I might miss. So my kid is acting out, well, did something happen at school that they're upset about? Or is there something wrong in the home? Parents often bring their kids to therapy, say, oh, that's my problem, kid fix them. And you're like, well, there's some things going on in the home Mm -hmm. that your child is actually expressing. So your child's... behavior is actually in some way like a barometer of what's going on in your house and it just stopped the behavior that's not going to take away the core issue which is there's too much anger in your home or there's too much tension or Mm -hmm. the relationship between the husband and wife is a problem so just thinking that stopping the problem behaviors is going to fix the problem is missing what actually the problem might be telling you in the first place
0: yeah and i think along with that comes um you know we want our children to be well accomplished and well behaved and well disciplined because oftentimes we think that they're a reflection of us especially in society and so you know you'll see not only culturally i mean persian culture of course but a lot of cultures um you know it's really important for our children to be to present themselves in a certain manner to be well educated to be well disciplined to be respectful um because in some sense we get something out of that as parents right so people will think we're good parents. We're doing the right thing. We're, um, you know, being good parents, like I said. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, we have to acknowledge our reasoning you know, whether it be conscious or unconscious as to why we might be doing certain things. Um, you know, like Farid said, sometimes we overlook what the child is doing and they're acting out because we don't want other people to mm-hmm. see them acting yeah. out. or We don't want other people to see them acting this way because it's embarrassing or shameful. Uh, what will people think of us? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that goes back to what I said earlier about how children are not our masterpieces. They're not our creations. They're their own people and they have to find their own way. Um, you know, sometimes we we push certain things onto our children because we think not only that's what's best for them, but also, like I said, it, it makes us look good. So you have to get straight A's, right? right? You know, the, the pressure to be perfect, the pressure to live up to these standards of, you have to get straight A's because you have to get into a good college because then you'll have a good job and then you'll be successful in your life and then you'll be happy. And so as parents, we might think that this is all because we want our child to be happy. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're not acknowledging the child. Like maybe the child doesn't really uh, work well in a school environment, an academic environment. Maybe they're more artistic. Maybe they're creative in different ways. Um, You know, and so we we look at what we get out of that. Is it really about the child's happiness Mm -hmm. or is it for another purpose? Um, You know, there's this really great article that talks about helicopter parenting uh, by Lori Gottlieb. And she says in here, um, she says, you know, She says, we want our kids to be happy living in the life we envision for them. Mm -hmm. Um, That might not be the life that actually makes them happy. And so we're not so happy if our kids work at Walmart but show up each day with a smile on their faces. They're happy, but we're not. Even though we say we want what we want most is for our kids is their happiness, we'll do everything we can to help them achieve that. It's unclear where parental happiness ends and our children's happiness mm, begins.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know to me, it's like you, when you're given a child, <clears throat> essentially you're given a seed, but you don't really know what the flower is going to look like, how it's going to bloom. And all your job to do as a parent is to nurture and nourish this this seed as it grows. But unfortunately parents think it's supposed to look a certain way so they're basically pulling on the plant maybe too early or they're trying to shape it in a way that they think oh this is a beautiful flower and this is what it's supposed to look like not realizing that Your child has this incredible beauty and potential within it that all you're supposed to do is help bring out and bring about. Mm -hmm. But when we have this kind of fixed model of or fixed idea of happiness, success, a good person, what it's supposed to look like, we put that pressure onto our kids. And anytime they're not that, we would tell them they're bad directly and indirectly. Anytime they're confirming that, we're saying, yeah, be more like what I want you to be, not realizing, as you said, it's not for them. It's actually for us that we're
0: doing Yeah, that. and the message that sometimes the child receives in that situation is that they have to be a certain way in order to get mom and dad to love them mm-hmm. or to get mom and dad to respect them, right? So if I don't get, I have to get straight A's on my report card and I have to be the best at gymnastics and at soccer and whatever else extracurricular activities they're in, they have to excel in all areas in order to, to get mom and dad's respect, right? And so when, um, once they can notice and they pick up on these cues and they don't always have to be verbal, like, you know, good job. I'm so proud of you. But it's, it's oftentimes not verbal. They can just tell from your facial expressions or from your body language that, um, you know, you, you're so happy and you're, and you respect them and you're so proud of what they do. Um, they'll start thinking that their love and their, the respect that they can get from you only comes from, them being a certain way and Mm -hmm. living up to these standards
1: yeah and we're about to go into our second commercial break and um there's this uh, kind of statement by khalil Gibran on children that i think encapsulates so much of what we're talking about that your kids aren't really your kids you know there's this gift that's been given to you to help nurture and be there for them but they're not yours the way that sometimes parents think they're yours because they're mine i can do whatever i want with them and also this feeling of We're not supposed to try to instill in them us, but allow them to become who they are. So I'll I'll read this before we go to the second break. So this is from Khalil Gibran on children. Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might, that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness, for even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. I think that's really beautiful. There's so much in there. We could probably talk about that for the next hour and a half. But we will move on after the break and talk some more about helicopter parenting and also some ways I've seen it show up. Uh, Parents, I think, doing too much. That's hurting their kids, but we'll get to that. But again, my guest, in case you want to call in, is Dr. Jennifer Galvin. Our studio number is 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalaqui. We will be right back. Welcome back to In Session with Dr. Farid Alok. We my guest today, Dr. Jennifer Galvin, clinical psychologist. And we're talking about parenting in general and especially helicopter parenting when parents can be too involved. Now, you, you want to talk about something um, about how this is maybe another one of those extremes that we can do where we go from one side of the pendulum or one, one to the other. Where parents might think, okay, if it was bad to tell our kids they're stupid, they're bad, they're the worst all these kind of things that some parents have done historically. And of course, fortunately still does happen. And then to be a good parent means to tell my kid he's the best or she's the smartest and the most beautiful and almost give them this unrealistic type of praise or telling them they're more special than other kids in a way. Mm-hmm. And we think this is good parenting because to tell them to devalue them was bad, but it's almost like now we think to idealize them as healthy.
0: Right. And I think that sometimes we will um, teach them that they deserve special treatment. Um, Or that they're special, Um, you know, they don't have to be treated like everyone else at school or on the sports team. Um, You know, sometimes there is this tendency to be mad at um, other people. And uh, we might think that we're protecting our children by doing that. So standing up or stepping into certain situations as parents. Um, you know, if the, if the child is struggling at school, it, m- it might look something like the parent goes to school, gets mad at the teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, why are you not doing enough for my child? Why is my ch- child having such a hard time at school? Um, you know, I want the child to be in a different class with a different teacher. And so in some sense, you could see that there is... Um, the parent being overly controlling, Mm -hmm. overly involved in the child's environment and trying to, quote, fix everything for the child to make everything comfortable and easy like we talked about earlier. Um, The issue that arises from things like this is that oftentimes the child grows up um, never really receiving accurate feedback. So, you know, in the classroom environment, maybe the teacher is actually... um, providing accurate feedback for the child, for example, you know, I, I can see that you're struggling with math, you know, you're not doing so well, maybe we can get you a tutor, we can get you some help. Um, and so it's difficult for the child to take feedback like that in mm-hmm. when the parent comes in on the other end and defends the child and blames somebody else, right. um, like the parents or whoever mm-hmm. it is for something like that happening.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I've seen this happening a lot. And I think some of it also has to do with this obsession we have, especially in the United States, with grades and test scores and numbers and the super competitiveness to get into college, starting from like elementary school or Mm -hmm. preschool. Mm -hmm. Um, But that parents, uh, you know, I have people come in and they say, yeah, my kid got a C, so I went and talked to the teacher and said something's wrong. Yes, Rather than saying, okay, if your child gets a grade that they're unhappy with, first of all, it doesn't matter if you're unhappy, it matters if the kid's unhappy with it. But you go and try to understand what happened first rather than assuming the teacher is wrong, right. assuming that there's some kind of mistake and I'm going to fight to like get because I love my kids so much. I'm going to fight to get mm-hmm. them that A. Mm-hmm. Well, what if you go to school and realize they missed, you know, five assignments the, the, or they mm-hmm. got a bad score or they've been acting out in class again rather than trying to understand the child and see what's going on. There's just this fight and assumption of they have to be this and it's going to be this way. And if something happened to my kid and my kid doesn't like it, the other person has to be wrong which I think has so many negative consequences yes. to begin with like you said they have a conflict with the teacher okay we're going to switch classes immediately which one says the teacher is bad and wrong mm-hmm. which like you said is a not good feedback for the child to recognize what part did you play in this conflict but also or to even
0: me, you know how to resolve the conflict exactly that's the yeah. part that I think
1: I always tell I mean, I've had parents call before and say my kid is having an issue with another kid and I say this is such a great opportunity for you to model to your child conflict resolution mm-hmm. that issues can be resolved that just because you got into an argument or fight with someone doesn't mean the relationship ends which if we talk about a lot of these parents they might say i haven't talked to my own brother or sister for 25 years because we had some fight god knows about what and we've we have this especially in the persian culture we hold grudges so deeply that we think that if you have an argument with someone that's the end of the relationship not realizing if you have a disagreement or something's going wrong that's actually when you can work to resolve and become closer
0: well and even um to bring that into parenting um we're not perfect parents. Nobody is a perfect parent, right? And so it's about being good enough for your child. And oftentimes we might react or say things or do things that aren't probably the best at that moment, Mm -hmm. but we're human and we make mistakes and we're learning as we go through our life. And so, you know, it's important not only for the parent, but for the child to see the parent model, the repair aspect of it. So, you know, you go to your child and say, you know, I'm sorry if mommy was yelling, um, you know, mommy was feeling really overwhelmed, you know, it wasn't the right thing to do at the time. You know, let's sit down and talk about it or however it works out. But mm-hmm. it's, it's really about repairing what actually happened instead of avoiding it, um, not acknowledging yeah. it or leaving the child thinking that that was the way to handle a situation. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. There's so much. It's a big time avoidance tactic, which many of us use. Well, something's uncomfortable. You don't like something just avoid it, switch schools, Mm -hmm. stop being friends with that person, run away from it somehow. And parents come in and they swoop in because they don't want their child to feel any discomfort or pain. And they immediately just change the circumstance or situation rather than saying, you know, actually, I want you to go face the situation and see. And it also gives them this hope that in the future, when I face conflict, whether it's with a boss, teacher, friend, husband or wife, Mm -hmm. there actually is hope for resolution, not, "Uh oh, this means danger and crisis.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean...
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, another thing I was going to say is I've noticed parents sometimes related to that, even if they decide that we're going to resolve the conflict, they do it for the kid. I've even heard of parents that they talk for the kids. Like they say, oh, our kids had a fight, and the moms go and talk it mm-hmm. out for them. Well, what happened to this? And then they go back and tell the kids, hey, you guys are friends again. You know, and they're like, oh, well, okay, I guess we're friends again. I'll come over to your house tomorrow, not realizing it's up to them to give them that, to, you know, allow them to have that experience of, okay, I can work out the conflict. And first of all, I can only express what I'm feeling. My mom can't go tell his mom what I feel. I have to tell my friend and we can get to a much better place. So modeling that conflict resolution is one thing. And then also giving them the opportunity to, to practice it is huge.
0: And this, this is exactly what we've been talking about from the beginning of this um, session is that, you know, it, as when, when they're children, these tactics might quote, work, quote, unquote, Mm -hmm. work um, in the meantime. But as they grow older, it actually disables them from Mm -hmm. being able to handle situations in their life. And so, you know, as a kid, if the mother is resolving conflicts for them, fine. The kid doesn't really know any different. But when they grow up and they're out in the real world and they're out, you know, trying to get a job or whatever it is, they're just constantly going to try to run away Mm -hmm. or avoid Mm -hmm. these situations instead of learning how to deal with it. And oftentimes what happens is that people are left, adults are left suffering, Um, which is, you know, what we talked about, the giving too much, doing too much, being too involved actually disables our our children and actually um, does not help them as adults. It disables them as adults as well. Mm -hmm. And so you'll see all the conflicts that come up and, you know, you'll see people unhappy and and unsatisfied and miserable in their lives as adults. And they're not really sure why.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think absolutely, you know, giving them those opportunities that you said, like when they're a kid to go through these challenges, is so much better when the stakes are lower. One, because the stakes are lower. Okay. If your first grader didn't do his addition homework and he has some issue with it, rather than trying like, okay, let me just do it for him and turn it in. So he doesn't get a bad grade. Let him face that consequence, recognize what happens when you don't do your work. There are consequences. It is good to do your own work, but also if they keep getting that protection from, okay, nothing ever happens. Then when they're in high school, college in their own career, and they hit an obstacle, they hit a challenge. They usually fall apart. They have a breakdown because they don't know how to handle this. It's such a crisis rather than allowing them to face challenges. Like, Oh, you know what? I've had problems before where I didn't get some work done but I just know that means I have to work harder and communicate with my supervisor or my boss what's going on and then we go from there rather than I have to avoid this you know usually this is when someone comes in and takes away the problem so I'm going to hide the problem Mm -hmm. avoid it and then it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and then
0: Right and then some of it might have to do with our own fears as parents right our fear of the child failing or the fear that the child won't feel like they're good enough and so it's really important to be able to be conscious and to differentiate between what is our Mm -hmm. thinking and our feelings and what is actually theirs. Are they actually feeling this way or are they okay being in the average range? You know, nowadays there's so much emphasis around succeeding and perfectionism um, that it almost seems like there's no curve left. It's, It's either that the child is learning disabled or unable to perform or they're highly gifted and intelligent mm-hmm. and perfect and participate in every extracurricular activity and is just a well-rounded, perfect mm-hmm. child. And And the pressure to be perfect and the pressure to be special gets so intense that oftentimes you'll see these children or even these children who grow up as adults in a therapist's office suffering from things like sleep disorders, eating disorders, um, stomach aches, um, hair pulling, depression, mm-hmm. anxiety. I mean, the list goes on. And and you can see the struggle and the pressure to be perfect yep. and how it plays out.
1: Oh, yeah. That per- perfectionism is something we think of as like, oh, you can just say it lightly. It's not that big of a deal. But it's really serious when people actually have that perfectionism. It really interferes with their life. And I wrote down here growth because that's something I wanted to talk about. You know, you mentioned like this whole gifted thing, like, oh, you have to be gifted. My child is special. And it relates to what we talked about earlier, I think, this segment. But this idea that you have to tell your kid they're like beautiful and they're smart and they're a genius and all these things rather than, uh, and I talked about this two weeks ago in the show, mindset. We want to encourage them to have what we call a growth mindset, meaning that hard work. Um, you know that's what makes a difference keep working at things doing everything you can not just you are smart or you're not because that actually creates anxiety itself when you give them that label when you have that fixed mindset but I think parents think like, I should just tell my kid 100 times that you're the smartest you're a genius you're so good mm-hmm. that's why you got an A because mm-hmm. you're so smart mm-hmm. then what happens when they get a bad grade all of a sudden oh I'm not smart right. I'm not good I'm bad rather than a child who has a growth mindset says oh I got an A because I worked hard. If I got a C, that means I didn't work that hard. It doesn't mean I'm bad or I'm not good or I'm not, right, it's not personal any of those things. For that. Exactly. It's about, and that means I can also work harder to do something about it. Whereas if you have a fixed mindset, you said, "Oh, I got a C. That means I'm not smart enough to get an A mm-hmm, anymore," mm-hmm. and they they get paralyzed with that uh, that anxiety. Another thing I wanted to say is related to growth. That parents think, okay, if I'm doing, I love my kids. That's why I do so much for them. I'm doing all these things, but you always have to ask yourself. Is what I'm doing interfering with their growth in some way? Is there some way I'm interfering with their growth? You know, the analogy I use, or this example, um, maybe some parent is going to try this some, Dave. The mom who thinks, I love my son so much, Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking of like a Persian mom, that I'm never going to let him, he doesn't have to ever have to walk. Why should he have to use his legs and get tired? I'm going to carry him everywhere. So the kids, three or four, the moms just care, said, nope, you're never going to walk because I love you, So much. The kid is seven years old. I'm going to just carry you everywhere. I come to school. I'll carry you from your classroom. I'll carry you to lunch. No, you don't have to ever walk because I love you so much. Kids in high school. Now she starts doing squats when he's asleep so she can get stronger and carry him. So she's strong enough to carry him all the time are you actually helping him and loving him? Or are you interfering with his growth and his own ability to take care of himself and get stronger? That's what we have to ask ourselves. And
0: with that comes along that that works for a period of time, Mm -hmm. for example, through childhood. But then the, the son grows up and is, let's just say 20, 25, 30 years old. And then it reverses where the parents start getting frustrated or disappointed and let down by the child thinking you're old enough. Now you should be doing more. Why are you dependent on Mm -hmm. me? Why Mm -hmm. are you not doing more? Why are you still at home? And then with that comes the shame and the disappointment and, you know, all of that because the child has never learned to do those things. Mm -hmm. So as a 30-year-old, they still don't know how to do it. But then the parenting style reverses because chronologically their age is at a point where they think that the child should be able to do certain things. There's just expectations.
1: And I see this a lot in therapy with young adults, especially Iranians, I think, because we can very often have this type of parenting style that's over-involved and does too much where... Once it becomes time as young adults to pick a career, to take on more responsibilities, to even pick a partner, they don't feel capable of doing any of those things. And there's so much intense anxiety, this like almost existential anxiety of who am I? What do I want to do? Can I do these things? Can I face life? That they're just paralyzed with this anxiety. And then, yeah, now there's this expectation. Well, you're supposed to get married and make money and do these things. And they've never really had to face a conflict, an obstacle, or take care of anything in their life. And now all of a sudden, the whole weight of the world is thrown on them, mm-hmm. and they're just overwhelmed. Right,
0: and, and you know, psychologically speaking, and in in, um, in what you described, what's interesting is that there's so much emphasis on thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about what the right thing to do is, what will make my parents happy, what should I do, what should I do, what should I do. That sometimes you see that these kids struggle with connecting to their intuition Mm -hmm. and their feelings. Like what do my feelings tell me I should do? Mm -hmm. What does my intuition tell me is right for me as a person? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we can talk about that a little bit. No, sure. I think absolutely
1: you're right. I mean, they're, they're because of this, You know, when we look at boundaries, the parent being almost overly enmeshed too close to them, they do, they're infused, they're they're fused, they never get that sense of themselves. They're so detached. So, as you're saying, once it comes time to make those very personal decisions what's my passion? What do I want to do as a career? who do I want to be with? Do I even want to get married? Mm-hmm, do I want to have mm-hmm. kids? They have no connection or, you know, even right. they have been taught so many times actually to not trust that intuition because uh-huh, what you wanted uh-huh. was wrong. No, no, mommy, you should it take this It doesn't work class. in the world, exactly. right? You have
0: to be a doctor. You exactly, have to be like this. Right.
1: And so they don't even, they don't learn to trust that intuition mm-hmm. at all. So I think it goes back to what you're saying about the conscious parents, seeing your child as this unique being and connecting with that, not trying to, push into them something.
0: And also trusting that they intuitively can do what's right for them. Right. I mean, obviously as a child, they need some guidance. They need support. They need you there as a parent. But, you know, you can see the struggle as adults where like we were talking about, it's it's about fulfilling someone else's dreams mm-hmm. or someone else's mm-hmm. fantasies and expectations. So it's constantly like, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing what my mom said? Am I doing what my dad said? Right. Versus what do I want? Mm-hmm. What makes me happy? What fits me? Right. Absolutely. What What suits me. And so you can see that piece missing as a result Mm -hmm. as well.
1: And I think that's why I see a lot of these young adults in therapy now trying to actually connect with themselves. I mean, it's a lifelong process for all of us, but especially for people in this type of families and this kind of parenting, they're just so disconnected with who they are. And now it's like, okay, at 25, at 30, I got to try to figure out who am I? What do I actually want? And it's its own process we've reached our next commercial break again my guest dr jennifer galvin we are talking about helicopter parenting if you'd like to call in 310-441-0555 you're listening to in session with dr fader we will be right back Welcome back to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalakoui, my guest today, Dr. Jennifer Galvin, clinical psychologist. We're talking about parenting and helicopter parenting. Um, and, you know, this idea of helicopter parenting, I also heard it very commonly in on college campuses that these parents that even though their kids have not moved away to school, they have a hard time still letting go and they even helicopter in, in a way. That's another way I heard the term used. And, you know, are too involved in their kid's life. They have this hard time allowing the child to differentiate and then, you know, go to the college. And I think we've both actually were therapists on college campuses during our training yes. at various points. So I remember that experience and we would talk a lot about this. But do you have any thoughts about that, about when kids are going to college? And that's there's different steps of differentiation that might be happening, but that's a pretty big one that parents might have a hard time going through. But any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I
0: think that, you know, the whole empty nest syndrome Mm -hmm. is probably most prevalent during this time frame, right? Mm -hmm. When the child leaves home to go to college, it's the first time that the child is away from the house, is away from the parents. And, um, you know, it's commonly known among a lot of college campuses, the struggle that the college staff has with getting rid of freshman parents (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you know it sounds funny but you would be surprised as to how difficult it is for these parents to leave their child on a Mm -hmm. school campus for the first time ever really being away from them and going back to their home in which they call their now empty nest and adjusting to that new situation um you know, we were just talking over the commercial break a little bit about how difficult it is for some parents to go back to the empty nest and to no longer have a child to focus their complete attention onto. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think that we can talk more about that, how that already was a sign of an unhealthy dynamic or dynamics within the home that now is being played out with the child leaving and the parents feeling or maybe one parent, especially feeling like they're missing something because so much of their life was dependent and connected to that child. But, you know, I was talking before about parents going to schools and talking about grades. I've heard stories of parents going and talking to professors about grades, you know, like at the end of the semester saying, oh, I, you know, my child got a C or a B in this class. And they're just so used to that idea that I go talk to my parents, my, my kids' teachers and fix their grades that they're still doing that in college. So those patterns that can be very, they're unhealthy to begin with, but they're very hard to break.
0: Right. And there's also the piece of, still thinking that the child, you know, the 18-year-old child who's in college is still a young child and dependent, because in some ways they are, you know, they might be financially dependent Mm or, you know, it's their first time away from home. But it's, again, so important to help these children to develop a sense of independence and a sense of self and to trust their instincts, their intuition, um, and to trust that you've raised them in a way where they're able and capable to handle the situations that they are confronted with while away at college. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think, again, it's like, you know, there's a lot of paradoxes in being a parent. And I think Eric Fromm talks about the paradox of maternal love, saying that you essentially love something in a way that it actually can go away from you. Because usually what we love, we try to bring closer to us. But to be a good parent means you have to love your child in a way that allows them to become strong enough to then actually go away from you. And I think a lot of parents have a hard time with that. They try to cling so much and they're afraid to lose the child that they actually don't give them that opportunity to grow
0: right and you know i just actually took a course on childhood development in my psychoanalytic psychotherapy course and it was such a interesting concept that my professor brought up um uh, the idea she called it a body space in which mothers particularly their body actually expands to carry this child mm. right and so um that when the child is born and their stomach goes back to being normal, normal size, they still always have this thing called a body space where, mm. it, where the child was being carried and their stomach always stays like that, and so they always yeah. will have this connection to their child that's unique to the mother mm-hmm. and child, right? right? And they will feel as though the child is part of them, and. You know, all of this is normal, and it and it's important to acknowledge and understand it. Um, but along with that comes the idea that you'll always want your child to be with you. You'll yeah. always want your child to be close to you. You'll always want to help them, and you know, not see them struggle. And this is part of the idea of the body space, right? They're always going to be a part right. of you, but how important it is to also let them go and be their wow. own person, knowing that you'll always have a space for them.
1: Right. I think, yeah, that's that was a very interesting concept that you brought up. And I think um, the way the child should always feel is that you're always there for them, but they don't need to be there for you as far as time goes. So I know most parents who have adult kids, like they love to see their kids anytime they want to come stop by or, you know, come for a weekend or have dinner together or whatever it might be, but there isn't this pressure that they, ha- that the healthy ways that they don't have a pressure to do it. So you're there. Oh, you'd like to see us? We're, you know, we're available, but sometimes parents they don't make it feel that the way they make you feel a lot of guilt that yeah, you have and so to spend the time.
0: Parents with this. have to look to see where their own deficits of are course. coming from. Right. And so what is it that you're trying to get from your child? Is it purely that you miss them? You love them and you want to spend quality time with them? Or are you trying to fill a deficit, avoid mm-hmm. a need of your own that may not be fulfilled through yourself, through your marriage, through friendships, yeah. whatever it may be. And
1: I think that could be a good transition. Kind of, we alluded to this a bit ago, but I think this is a big issue I'm seeing in families. And I think, Many families have this, but especially Iranian families, where because the marriage is not where it needs to be and because husband and wife are not getting what they need... From the marriage, there is this deficit, as you're we saying, a space that needs to be filled, and especially, of course, this is changing, but still, in more traditional Iranian families, the man has his job and the work that he does. Well, a lot of times, women aren't given that opportunity, or don't, you know, aren't really comfortable taking it if they're in a very traditional gender role type of a marriage, and so their life becomes the kids, and they become so tied into everything that means anything to me is my kids. It's what keeps me busy. It's what's keeping me occupied. Mm-hmm. And that's going to create a dependency and a codependency. I need you there because without you, I have nothing there. And that's why I, I tell a lot of parents I work with, well, how full is your own life? Do you have a yes. good social life? How is your marriage? Do you have things you do, hobbies? Are you taking care of yourself? All these things that sometimes parents forget are important parts of actually being a good parent. It's not just about your interactions right, with your right, child. Right. And I always like to tell parents that to be a good father means also being a good husband and to be a good Mother means to also be a good wife. That's part of your role. A major part, right?
0: Yeah. That's their first um, real life example of Mm -hmm. being in a relationship. Right. Yeah. So that sets the foundation. It's a model for how they will then relate, not only in intimate relationships, but in all sorts of relationships. Yeah.
1: And I think when we take that kind of bird's eye view of the family and just see all the dynamics, because it's very easy sometimes to look at the overly dependent mom and just blame her like it's her fault but recognizing that she's part of a dynamic where okay well if her relationship with her husband isn't enough and she's not afforded other opportunities to really fulfill herself maybe there's going to be something missing it's more of a societal cultural type of issue and it's not fair to just blame the mom for being too connected to her children it's that she's there's there's some things missing in her life that need to be filled up
0: yeah and I think you know naturally when husband and wife are married and it's just the two of them. The dynamic is different, right? Mm. And when children come in the picture, there's a whole new archetype that um, brings a lot of expectations, a lot of change. And I think sometimes you know, generally speaking, mothers might be a little bit more prepared for this change Mm -hmm. since they're already enduring a physical change. Um, But definitely when the first child or when children are born, it changes the dynamic of the marriage and the relationship. And, um, you know, you end up spending whatever it is, 18 years or more, depending on how many children you have, um, trying to you know, help these kids get on their own two feet and to learn the ways of the world. And sometimes your own marriage or relationship gets put on the back burner. Yeah. And it's, you know, like you mentioned, it's so, so, so important for the children to see what a healthy relationship looks like and that mom and dad, you know, care about each other. They're kind to each other, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but I think this ties into the whole emptiness thing because then when the children leave, it's almost as though the husband and wife don't even know each other anymore alone because they've only really known each other in the context of the children for Mm -hmm. so many years. Mm -hmm. And so it's about, you know, now re-relating to your husband Mm -hmm. or wife and getting to know them again. And, connecting on that level
1: yeah and i think some of that emptiness they're feeling it's actually the kids were kind of covering up that there was an emptiness in their marriage that they weren't even aware of and now that they're gone they're oh we didn't have that connection really wasn't there and the dynamics of the family changed so much that i always tell newlyweds i say look your marriage is your first child and by that i mean you have to Always make it a priority. You have yeah, to nurture it. You can't ignore it. You right. can't neglect it. It needs your time and attention. But I think oftentimes parents, and you can, I'm sure, attest to this, when you have even one child, a newborn, it's so, you know. Overwhelming. Overwhelming. It takes up so much of your time, energy, everything, that you might think there's no time left, but that you have to always make your marriage a priority in your life or else it will, like any living thing, die.
0: Right. And, and you know, it's funny because um, children, babies, infants, are pretty narcissistic by Mm -hmm. by nature, right? They need to be that way to survive. And so it's all about them. I need to be fed. I need to be changed. I'm crying. I need to be held. And everything has to be attended to at that moment at their beck and call. And so um, you can see when an infant is brought into the family dynamic, how it almost triggers everyone's narcissism in a sense. It's almost <laughs> contagious because then the mother is like, what about me? Nobody c- takes care of me. When do I get time alone, right? Then it becomes me, 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 me. Mm-hmm. And the same thing maybe with the husband where they're like, I don't get your attention anymore or I don't get any, you know, anything around here anymore. And so everyone almost gets this narcissistic quality in the home. Um, like I said, it's almost contagious, right? Yeah. And everyone becomes like, what about me? Yep. And it takes a toll on the marriage. It takes a toll on the relationship because everyone is needing things at that point. The husband needs things from the wife. The mother, the child needs things from the mother. Mm-hmm. The mother needs support from the husband. You know, I mean, it's a whole um, cycle.
1: Of course, I mean, it's it's a you know it's a beautiful blessing. You know, you have this it really baby is. coming, but it does come with an a lot. It's adjustment. It's a huge adjustment a huge and adjustment. so much changes. Not only, you know, the things you were talking about on top of that, there's sleep deprivation and stress, right. which is going to ma- change our moods and affect so much of our behavior and actions. Right. And even like taking care of things becomes harder because you can't remember things, you mm-hmm. know. So there's so much stress that's thrown into it that I think it's very important for parents or before they become parents to really talk about how they want to continue to work on the marriage and make sure they're giving the giving time to the marriage after the kid comes because once the kid's there, you're in like stress mode and you're trying to make, you're in survival mode in some ways. But I think it's very important to be aware of that.
0: Yeah. And I think it's important also, you know, before the child comes if possible to talk about parenting styles. And so, you know, it, it might be, I think sometimes that we assume That our Mm -hmm. partner will have the same parenting style and you know this is something interesting that comes up in interracial marriages or interracial couples where um parenting styles are different culturally they're different um you know we might assume or think that the person will be a certain way with the child and then the child is born and the person is not that way at all and our expectations are Mm -hmm. you know way above what is being offered um there's it's not always a matter of who's right and who's wrong but it's just different mm-hmm. and so if given the opportunity it's important to talk about that as well before a child arrives Absolutely. what is your parenting style how would you like to raise children how how do you think you would react if such thing happened you know if your child was had fallen and broken their leg what do you how mm-hmm. do you think you'd react to that or um, if if the Discipline kid doesn't styles. do well in school right. mm-hmm. Right. You know, if if the child needs to be disciplined, you know, what are your thoughts about that? And so these are all really good preventative types of mm-hmm. things that can be done so that it can help keep the marriage more intact yeah. when such change comes exactly. about. Exactly.
1: Because, yeah, I mean, a mar- I think having a child can create, it's going to create more stress in a lot of ways, but if there are those differences, it adds another layer of stress of like how every every issue becomes, no, we should do it this way. No, we should do it that way. Yes. No, don't do this, do that. And, and we're actually, I think maybe in the next segment, we could talk about the importance of co-parenting in general and that consistency. But like you're saying, it's so important to prepare for these things. Have these conversations before you have the kid, just like before you get married, it's important to have so many conversations about what kind of marriage you want and what you, you know, what kind of relationship you're looking for. To me, like to not prepare for these things and not talk about them or not like, you know, study parenting. It's like saying, you know, the pilot just has the plane in the air and then we're going to teach him how to fly the thing. Okay, you know, now it's in the air. How do you use, you know, these buttons and that buttons? No, you have to do all this preparation before you go into that important journey and just like... But yeah, parents, you have to do all this preparation before you go. And you can't think we'll learn it on the fly or we'll figure it out as we go. And, you
0: know, some things might be that way. Sure, you can only prepare course. so much. But it's always good to have some foundation Absolutely. and some, you know, basis for where you and your partner or you and the um, the other parent are mm-hmm. coming from because, you know, a lot of things will change as things come along and the child comes along. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of parents say, I'll never give my children <laughs> an iPhone or an iPad, you know, to sit down and use. And then, you know, five years later, all of their kids are on it. And, yep. you know, there's no judgment around that. It's just that things change, dynamics change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, your perspectives change.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So yeah, it's important to be open-minded as well.
1: I think so. And I think, you know, we might talk a bit more about that and how the consistency plays such an important role uh, between the parents you know co-parenting is a lot of times used for divorced parents but I think it's just something to keep in mind for all parents that you should be working together as a team all right my guest today Dr. Jennifer Galvin we are talking about parenting if you'd like to call in three one zero you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui we'll be right back back again my guest today dr jennifer galvin we're talking about parenting helicopter parenting and actually in this segment we're going to talk a bit about co-parenting and how important it is for parents to be on the same page to be a unified front and the consistency between them and as we were talking about before the break how important it is to before the fact before you have your kids to talk about these things to make sure you are on the same page because once the kids are there. It can be too late to talk about everything and to really get prepared. And again, you're speaking as a psychologist, but I also know a parent and a co-parent yourself. So I know you can probably share a lot of different elements from a prof- professional and personal right experience. I can
0: relate on both ends.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure that's, you know, another element of that is being a parent and a professional too, I'm sure has.
0: Yeah. You know, I actually wrote that down earlier when you were talking about the guilt that comes along with being (laughs) a working parent. And this is not just exclusive for mothers because I've actually experienced this with other people where even the fathers have this sense of guilt where they're missing out on the child's life, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they're gone at work, so they miss out on things. They don't get to spend as much time with their children. And um, the moment I wrote this down and I was thinking about this was when you were talking about the value of, being Um, differentiated, independent, self-sufficient, and taking care of yourself as a parent. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when I first went back to work, when my kids were born, I definitely had this sense of guilt and worry and, you know, are they going to be okay? And will I miss something? You know, all of that sort of thing that comes along with um, a working parent. And I later transformed my perspective. I changed my perspective and started to think, this is actually really good for my kids to That I have something for myself, Mm. um, something that I enjoy, something that I um, participate in for myself and for my career. And and I think it's a good modeling act for Mm -hmm. them to see that my life is a little bit more balanced. You know, as difficult it, it as it is to juggle everything, there is more balance. There is an intellectual component. There is a psychological component. There is an emotional component. You know, I spend time with family. I spend time with the kids. I go to work. You know, so it, it's it's been nice. I think to change my perspective because it's alleviated a lot of that guilt and it's mm. it's helped me see the brighter side of how it can help them be
1: um, yeah. more well rounded. Yeah, and I think you know the, the award you you're. You were talking and I thought of this word and then you use it, balance, I think is one of the challenges of life is balancing, you know, all the things we want to do, you know, all the positive things, the good things to take care of ourselves, fun. And then it becomes even bigger when we have these big roles in our life, like husband, wife, mother, father, mm-hmm. and then your professional role where balancing and we're all just given 24 hours a day and seven days a week and we have to fill it up with. All these things, or right. Make sure we there's space fill for all of them.
0: our expectations. Exactly. Yeah. And so
1: I think that can be incredibly difficult. And I think all the more reason for parents to be on the same page because we do want to have that balance. And sometimes, for example, there's this expectation, especially traditionally, well, the mom's going to do all the parenting stuff and then she has to sacrifice her life in so many ways. And the father does his own thing, let's say, in a traditional mindset. I was actually kind of happy to hear you say, That some parents, some fathers are feeling guilt. Are you hearing more about that? Not that I want fathers to feel guilt, but that there is this expectation now that, you know, the father's supposed to spend time with the kids too. It's not just the mother. Yeah, I mean, I
0: I definitely can see that traditional. Um, aspect of parenting and how it how it was especially in the Persian culture right Um, but there's a huge shift in parenting especially in the last decade or so where I think fathers are a lot more involved they're a lot more connected they're a lot more in tune Um, you know uh, there's a lot less of the I just provide financially and I'm just you know that person in (laughs) the in the family dynamic and and now you'll see you know fathers participating more and helping around the house and helping yeah. and and on the other end you'll see you know mothers working more and mm-hmm. so there's definitely been a balance in that sense and and a shift from the more traditional roles mm-hmm. to a more contemporary
1: yeah and, and I think w- using that word balance again anytime there is an adjustment or a change it does take us some time to find a new balance which I think is something that is happening out of you know I think for some families some women men it's been this there's still this period of adjustment. Okay. Well now if the woman is in the workforce, like how do they balance the parent? Cause now the things at home should look different too. Yes. And forget all of that. So there is there are new ways that we have to balance things when yes. these new opportunities are presented and new challenges are presented. But going back to co parenting, um, are there certain things you think is important for parents to talk about? You know, you mentioned things like discipline, um, parenting styles. What, what do you think it's important for parents to make sure they're on the same page about and or things you've noticed that sometimes they're not on the same page and can lead to conflict?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that it's important to be on the same page, generally speaking, <laughs> but oftentimes we tend to be in relationships or are attracted to people that are quite different than us and so sometimes that difference can be positive also um, always being the same and everything isn't a good thing it's more about being on the same page so differentiating between being the same and being on the same page as in when you're on the same page with with the your partner you um, in parenting, it's more about understanding and accepting their way of parenting and being okay with it. So it doesn't have to be just like yours. Um, but it's more about discussing it together and coming to an agreement upon how, let's just say, the father will parent versus how the mother will parent Um it may not be the same and right. there may not always be an agreement as to this is how we're going to parent and we're both always going to be the same. Right. And so it's important to just have a conversation, to communicate these these things with each other. Look, this is how I was raised. This is what's important to me. Um, you know, I want to spend time with my child. I want to discipline in this manner. Um, you know, whatever it may be, it's just important to have a conversation and discuss it, and see where the other person's mm-hmm. coming from, what their thoughts, their feelings, their reservations are about that, and then coming to a mutual agreement as to, okay, you do things that way, I do things this way. It looks like it's going to work somehow, right? So right. it's like the the two circles with the little bit of overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, you're two people. You come from two different places, two different families, right? Two different experience, life experiences. So. It may not always look the same, but you have to come to some sort of an agreement with each other mm-hmm. that will work in the in the family dynamic.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's true. I mean, as much as we could talk about being on the same page, it doesn't mean everything's going to be exactly the same. But the consistency in the bigger things, the more generals you want to make sure, you know, the classic thing of okay, if mom said no, I can go ask dad and maybe he says yes is not, yes. you know, you want that consistency is important for the kids to so, know, okay, I get the same kind of responses, but you have two different personalities, so it's not going to be the same. Right. So, I mean, what, like,
0: what you don't want to happen is you don't want the child to learn to manipulate right. right. the parents. And so if you say no, mom will say yes. If mom says no, dad will say yes. And kind of working both ends of the, mm-hmm. the parenting spectrum, right? And so that's not healthy for the child either. Right. Um, and so it shows a weakness in the the marital relationship mm-hmm. and it shows a weakness in the parenting. And it's not a safe environment for the child. Um, you know, the child wants to feel safe and secure and have boundaries and have consistency and stability. Without that, you know, the child, it's really scary for a child. They, they depend on their parents to help them feel safe. And when there's boundaries and structure and stability, routines, things like that, that all makes the child feel more Mm -hmm. secure and more, more safe. And so by being on the same page, you know, like we talked about, it doesn't mean you're the same, but by being on the same page, Um, having an understanding of where both of you are coming from in an agreement, it helps the child in the sense that the child will feel more secure, more Mm -hmm. safe. When the answer is no, it's no. I don't have to have anxiety or worry or manipulate or think of ways to get my way with the other parent.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it's an interesting dynamic that takes play when they do that. If they say, you know, I ask mom, she says no, I ask dad, he says yes. And in the moment the kid says, yes, like I got something. But you're right, it does create this anxiety and this lack of... Stability and the boundaries and expectations. So, in the moment, it might feel good, and sometimes we even think that when we say yes to a kid. But we have to think of the long-term consequences, which which are going to be taking place. And
0: it also devalues the meaning of words to the child, Mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, an important thing also is to value the words that the child uses. Um, You know, I remember reading a long time ago about when a child says no, don't keep doing the act, or don't convince them to change their mm-hmm. no to a yes, because what it does is it, it devalues the meaning of the word no. So as adults or as teenagers or whatever it may be, when they use the word no, they think that it doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's not a strong, sturdy reaction to things. And so again, when parents are doing that as models for the child, then it devalues words and it, and it leaves the child thinking, oh, well, one is no and one is yes, so it must be neither.
1: Right. Nothing, nothing actually means much to them. Right. The
0: words don't have a value. Yeah.
1: I think that's a good point. I think it's, um, you know, maybe we can talk about a few areas for me that are important. We're talking about parents preparing. One, I do think is disciplining, especially because people can come from, from very different schools of thought. Some think you have to be very harsh and punitive and maybe even have some level of physical, you know, spanking or something like that. And some don't. And I would hope more people are going towards that because spanking, Even spanking, of course, hitting the kids itself is very hurtful. But even spanking, more and more research is showing that that's hurtful too. Um, But I think that's an important one because once things start happening, and then the kid does something wrong, and one kid, you know, the mom slaps or spanks the kid, or the dad does it, and like, whoa, like it's it could be almost too late in a way. So I think that's a big one to talk about how we'd like to do that. You know, um, I don't think punishment is really required almost in most cases. There can be consequences, but harsh punishments usually, I think, don't have any benefit. But it's good to talk to your partner about that before you have the child. Also, it could be good to talk about what your childhoods were like, because that is yes. going to one is going to affect the kind of parent you're going to be, but also can give you an idea of, you know, I had this and this and this. And actually, I don't want to do this with our kids or I do want to do this with our kids. And so that could be a good place to start for for a new you know newlyweds or when they're talking about having kids of let's talk about our own childhoods and reflect on that one it's a good process to do anyway but two when you're communicating to be on the same page
0: and and on that note you know it reminded me of a couple that i had seen um a while back where they had one child and um something happened in that moment where the mother just yelled at the child Mm -hmm. and the father just completely had a huge reaction to it because it triggered a memory of him as a child Mm. and being yelled at by a parent and how traumatic that was. And so the mother thought, "Well, I just raised my voice. I yelled, no big deal. The father, on the other hand, took it to the point where he said, if this ever happens again, I can't live in this home because the trigger of the memory and the trauma Mm -hmm. for him as a child was so intense. Right. And so there's a lot, to unfold and to unravel when having these discussions as parents. Um, There's a lot about childhoods that we may not know or not understand. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like I said, certain things can be triggered in the heat of the moment that may not be something that comes up in a conversation. And so it's, It's really important to just stay in tune with yourself and try to understand yourself as best as you can and understand your childhood as best Mm -hmm. as you can and your triggers so that you know that your reactions are coming from a place that's the best place for your child, not just a programmed reaction from your own childhood or what you think is best based on your own mm-hmm. inner deficits.
1: Right. And actually the other book I know you brought with you today, um, Parenting from the Inside Out by Daniel Siegel, yes. talks a lot about that, about if we're not aware of the pains and what we've been through in our own childhood, we're not, I don't want to say very likely, we're definitely going to in some way project or it's going to affect our parenting with our own kids. So what I was just talking about, about you know, a husband and wife talking about um, their issues or what they experienced in childhood, just in general, as a parent, if you don't recognize what you've been through, you're gonna somehow, some way, consciously, unconsciously, put those issues onto your children in one way or the other. Maybe you give them the same, or you might react and try to give them the opposite because of you know you don't want them to feel what you felt. And without that awareness, you're not gonna be you know recognizing the ways you might actually be hurting your child, and it's gonna interfere with your parenting.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, another topic that this the book talks about the parenting from the inside out by Daniel Siegel is the idea of resiliency and raising resilient children. And I love that idea because I think that we should focus more on raising resilient children as opposed to creating or molding children to be a certain way Mm -hmm. or protecting children from the world. And the best way to do that is by letting them experience these things that the world offers, right? The physical ailments and pains, falling, scraping your knee, um, the emotional part, feeling disappointed by friends, being let down by a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, being stood up, being, um, you know, left out, not being picked for part of the basketball mm-hmm. game. I mean, whatever it may be, it's about helping them to experience these emotions and come out on the other end mm-hmm. knowing that they're still okay. And, and it develops a sense of resiliency where they then can w- go through life knowing that they're resilient and they mm-hmm. can get through m- anything that life offers versus protecting them so that nothing happens to them because that's unrealistic.
1: Mm-hmm. And this kind of comes back, you know, the full circle of the topic we're talking about, but helicopter parenting that um, we're not allowing the kids to, have those experiences thinking we're protecting them but it's actually hurting them not letting them develop their own sense of resiliency their own ability to interact with the world so i think yeah this is another great book on parenting parenting from the inside out by daniel siegel that i would highly recommend and uh we're actually going into our last commercial break so on the other end we'll we'll get into a few more things maybe wrap things up again my guest clinical psychologist dr jennifer galvin you're listening to in session with dr fatty dilak we will be right back Welcome back again, my guest, psychologist, Dr. Jennifer Galvin. And Dr. Galvin, you wanted to talk about a few more books that we didn't get to, so I wanted to give you that chance to talk about those as well.
0: Yes, I wanted to bring up two books by author Wendy Mogul. And um, I love even just the title of these books. Mm -hmm. So the first one's called The Blessings of a Skinned Knee. Uh-huh. And the second is called The Blessings of a B-. And a lot of the topics and the ideas that we talked about today are covered in this book. Um, you know, the the ideas of how we spoil our children, not just f- materialistically, but emotionally. Uh, we prize their feelings so mm-hmm. highly um, that we sometimes maybe fail to instill in them um, the basic foundation foundational things that have lasted through centuries, like things like um, gratitude, respect, discipline. Um, you know, we fail sometimes to even instill that in our children. Um, and, and, uh, and their upbringing because we're constantly, um, trying to give, 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 give like, and Mm -hmm. we don't want to, we don't want to upset them. We don't want to, um, make them mad. And so we're giving them, buying them things, giving them, um, full attention all the time um, she also talks a lot about what we discussed the pressure to be special to have special treatment um, she talks about the expectations of parents being so high the standards being mm-hmm. so high and and what it leaves children feeling um, you know sometimes they don't, they have low self-esteem and they are they feel incapable and they end up suffering because they feel like, what's wrong with me that I can't do as much as my parents think I can mm-hmm. do, right? Um, she also talks about the gender differences, which is something we didn't really get a chance yeah. to talk about, um, but I think it's a really important one because nowadays there's so much emphasis around um, equality that maybe sometimes it gets taken a little too far to the point where there's too much pressure on boys to be more feminine or girls to be more masculine, like everyone is equal and everyone is treated the same. And so boys may end up being punished for just doing boyish, normal (laughs) boyish things. Right. Um, and so the, the boy child may end up feeling resentment. Um, they might feel demoralized. They might feel bitter or ashamed about their boyish qualities. Um, and you know, so the list goes on and I think it's really important. Um mm-hmm. and, and two really great books to look at that that address a lot of these topics.
1: Yeah, and especially with the, you know, we talk about the gender roles or gender norms that we talk about. And I think it's obviously been good that we've been moving towards more openness and flexibility and giving that equality, of course. But of course, it doesn't mean equality means that everyone now has to be the same or there has to be a certain standard. More, it's that, like we're talking about with the kids in general, allow them to unfold as they wish human beings in society, male, female, whatever they might be, they should have the flexibility to be as masculine, feminine, whatever they might be. So boys don't have to become more feminine or women don't have to become more masculine and to show that we're progressing. But True. actually it's that we just have to give everyone the space to be the flexibility what to be who they, they, they want to be and what, what makes sense for them. And everyone has masculine and feminine right, traits. Right,
0: exactly. And, and I think that Um, you know, she speaks of it more in the sense that there are actual differences, generally speaking, between boys and girls. And so it's important to acknowledge those differences And of course, it's most important to acknowledge the differences of the actual individual Mm -hmm. child. um, But sometimes expecting, you know, girls to do the same thing as boys or, you know, this is obviously generally speaking. So it's not always that way. But, um, you know, it it can cause a lot of pressure for for the child. And so and the last thing, you know, I wanted to bring up about these books is the emphasis she puts on your child not being truly yours, as in your masterpiece, Mm -hmm. your creation. And like we talked about learning to love your child for the child's sake, you know, putting emphasis like like we talked about earlier about the child's innate qualities and who they are and getting to know them as people, um, learning and accepting their personal temperament, not an expectation that all the kids have to behave a certain way or act a certain way, right. but
1: yeah,
0: accepting who that child is.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's so so important you know it's like we we talk about studying parenting studying you can study child development and you you know you have these things these assumptions we might have but i think as a parent or anyone just interacting with a human being you have this Idea that you have some knowledge that you bring to the situation, but you allow the person to express to you who they are. So, your kid has a test tomorrow, you think, okay, they might be nervous, but you're not going to say they have to be nervous. They might actually not be. So, you have that awareness when you're interacting that this is a maybe human tendency or people can feel that way, but you're not going to put that expectation on them that they have to feel this or have to feel that. And I think part of this helicopter parenting, of course, we talk a lot about the space, but even a bigger thing is the psychological space to yes. be your own emotional person, to be space. who you are, the emotional space. Right based. it. I am me. These are actually in this situation I feel this way. Oh, you like pasta, I don't like pasta. That's interesting. It doesn't mean one is right or wrong or good or bad. Or you like that movie, I didn't like that movie. Or that movie made you cry. It didn't make me cry, but your tears aren't bad or good. It's just we had different reactions to the same thing, which is not good, bad, or anything else. Unfortunately when we have dependency, there is this feeling that any difference means bad and separation and all those exactly something is wrong. So when we don't give that psychological space to our children, we don't allow them to, as we talked about before, figure out who they are, to face the obstacles, to face discomfort and frustration and overcome those things and become more resilient and stronger as a result.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the and the other piece is, you know, accepting good enough for your child. Mm-hmm. And so it, it becomes a factor of the pressure and the stress to be perfect uh, versus doing good enough and being happy, more relaxed, Mm -hmm. more peaceful. Um, you know, don't pressure your child to be perfect and don't pressure yourself to be perfect. Um, no parent is perfect. No child is perfect. You just have to do what's perfect and right for that moment Mm -hmm. for the child. And so, you know, just a few thoughts, that I wrote down about these books that I thought were sure. really important and really useful. Um, of course, you know, if you are interested, check out the books. They're by Wendy Mogul: "The Blessings of a Skinned Knee" and "The Blessings of a B Minus." And um, you know, it's it's very, very interesting and mm-hmm. useful suggestions.
1: Yeah, I, and I think that there, I, I haven't actually read either of those, but just by the titles, I think it is interesting in the concepts you shared about them um, are very interesting and, and worth, worth looking at. So, you know, we talked a lot about parenting and we have a few minutes left to wrap up, um, the show. And as we talked about at the beginning, parenting is very difficult. So we don't want to make it seem like we're saying, Oh, you're doing it all wrong. It's so simple. You should just be able to, to figure it out. It's difficult to know what's right. What's wrong. How do I show love to my kids? How do I make sure I'm not depriving my kids? As I mentioned before, you always want to ask yourself is how I'm showing my love Interfering with my child's growth in some way—is it interfering from their own process to become who um, they can be and who they want to be? And and a lot of parenting is being there, but also getting out of the way. And by getting out of the way, I mean not trying to force them to become something or making them what you want them to be.
0: Yeah, we can even utilize the idea of the body space in that manner, where. The child is always in that space, in the body space, but not literally. Mm -hmm. So they're always there, you're always there, but there's some room for them to explore and go out into the world and do what they need to do to learn about themselves. Um, But they're always going to be connected to you and they're Mm -hmm. always going to be with you.
1: Right. Yeah. So recognizing that even if you're not actually touching or you're not, you know, agreeing about everything and exactly thinking the same doesn't mean they're isn't a connection. And right. that's, I think another aspect of relationships that just isn't just about parent child, but even a romantic relationships is recognizing that difference doesn't mean distance or yes. um, difference doesn't mean we don't like each other. Or we have to dislike conflict, each other or right? conflict. Yeah. Exactly. Difference can just be different. So, uh, you know, as a helicopter parent, this term that we've been talking about, there is this feeling of you have to be this certain way. And, you know, you're talking about the grades before and even that title of the book, the blessings of a B minus. Um, you know, when I have parents come in and say, oh, my kid is getting F's and they're in seventh grade. I and mean, of course I do. I tell them I care about the F's, but I care far less about those grades for this child and more about him earning the F's and what that's telling us about him and what he's going through. Yes. But parents can get so focused and obsessed. And again, it's not parents fault, only it's society and the, right. this obsession we have with numbers and getting into colleges and all this stuff. We're talking about the Uber competitiveness. But to me, if your child's getting an F, I always say to me, an F is, Unless you're in the wrong class or there's some significant learning issue or disability, an F is an emotional grade, not an academic grade. It tells me something's going on with, whether it's a college student or a kid, something's going on that they're not getting their work done. They're not focused. Something is up. And to me, that's far more important than that F being a B or an A is that emotional well because you
0: can work on that and the child might end up getting the A, but that doesn't get rid of the resentment or all of the things that come along with it.
1: Right, yeah, whatever problem we're dealing with doesn't doesn't go away. And kind of a classic helicopter parent, maybe example we can use, most parents have been there, I remember being there as a kid myself, is, you know, it's 10 p.m. and your child says, oh, there was this project that I was supposed to do for the past three months and I haven't done it and it's due tomorrow. And now the parent has this dilemma. What do I do? Do I... Um, do the project for my kid and a lot of times it's funny parents start by helping the kid but the kid starts falling asleep and then they're sitting there (laughs) typing it up themselves printing it out and doing all the work or do i allow my child to face the consequence of going in and not completing his or her work and does that mean they're going to feel bad tomorrow they're going to feel bad as a parent also to experience yeah yeah and we know your child's going to feel bad tomorrow at school it's not going to feel good so again if we think and to me Allowing them to face that consequence is a good thing in the long run. In the moment, do they feel worse? Absolutely. And that's the problem when we get so tied into this immediate feeling, immediate gratification. If my child's happy right now, I'm a good mom or dad. If my child is sad, I'm doing a bad job. Sometimes we have to allow them to face that consequence. And they learn in the sixth grade, this big lesson that hopefully they won't deal with when they're professional and have the stakes are higher again, and they're going to you know, face some bigger consequences.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that the world we live in, like we talked about our um, academics or school institutions, everything's so conventional and there's so much emphasis on numbers and grades and succeeding and all of that sort of thing that sometimes just that, doesn't allow the space for us Mm -hmm. to really explore who we are or explore who our children are because we're so focused on getting the math grade, getting the English grade, doing the projects, you know, scoring high on SATs, getting into college, et cetera, et cetera, that something that I think is really helpful, um, to do with your children is, is something called like a passion project. And so although they're at school from, let's just say eight, nine in the morning till three in the afternoon, there's always time when they're home for you to spend quality time with them and getting to know them Mm -hmm. and helping them explore what their passions are, what their interests are. You know, sometimes they don't even know themselves because there's really been no access to that part of them. And so, yep. you know, spending an hour with them at, at home, like, hey, let's go get some arts and crafts supplies or a board and let's talk about what, you know, what do you like? What do you enjoy? What's yep. your passion? You know, trying to get to know them and help mm-hmm. them access those parts of them, the more creative, yeah. artistic parts of them right. that I think sometimes get suppressed and subsided. Mm-hmm. And,
1: and, well, and you said get to know them, but also help them get to know themselves, exactly. which I think is important. And, you know, we can talk on and on, but we do have to wrap up the show. And I did want to mention um, we got a few calls during the breaks for Dr. Galvin's contact info for her office. So I'll give that number again, 818-538-5236. And I'll also post um, more about her, how you can her website, and also that office number on my various social media um, uh, pages. So make sure to look for that also. Um, and I also wanted to mention again that I'll be doing my next seminar April 23rd um, from 3 to 6 PM at the Olympic Collection. The title or the topic is going to be on emotional intelligence. So I hope to see you there. Um, Dr. Galvin, any last remarks before we wrap up?
0: Um, just thank you for having me on the show. I think this is a really important topic. Um, you know, everyone can get something out of it, whether you're a parent or not. Absolutely. And so Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank
1: you for coming on. And, you know, yeah, parenting is an issue we can talk about a lot more. So I'm sure we'll have you back sometime soon. But thank you for joining me. So big thanks to Dr. Jennifer Galvin for joining me today. Thank you to Ramon here in the studio and everyone listening out there. Hope you have a wonderful day.